Hello and welcome to the May DCM podcast. My name is Tom Linnae. I'm head of film at DCM. And as always, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes. Just open your podcast app, um, search for digital cinema media and click subscribe. And the podcast will be automatically put on your app next to Tom Hanks's Desert Island Discs. And we're very lucky this month that we have a guest of the stature of Tom Hanks on the DCM podcast. Um, I'd like to welcome uh, Nigel Sharrocks. Hello, Nigel. Hi, Tom. Now, if you aren't familiar, and hopefully if you are in the media industry, you will be, Nigel is a bit of a titan of the media and advertising industry. He was formerly chief executive of Aegis Media Global Brands, where he was responsible for um, brand networks such as Cara, Visium and Posterscope. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, prior to that, he was managing director of Warner Brothers UK, where he oversaw the release of more than 150 major films, which we will mention uh, coming up, but some really huge titles, including the Harry Potter series, The Matrix... And he was also chairman of Mediacom. But as you can tell, he's basically done it all. And now the crowning achievement of a glittering career, he is the chairman of Digital Cinema Media. When you put it like that, it sounds marvellous. Are you are you available for introductions all the time? I yeah. think that's probably the best I've ever had. I, 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 you can record me for your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> Absolutely marvellous. So, um, I mean, as you can tell, there's a lot we can talk about this month. But um, just to start with, how did you start your career in media, Nigel? Um... Well, originally I played in a band of all things, and um, when that looked like it wasn't going to be as successful as we, as I dreamt, I had to get a proper job, and the job in advertising sounded like uh, you know a good place to start, fun, interesting, creative business. So I really kind of honed in on that and went from there. Really started as a, a graduate trainee in the media department of McKenna Erickson. Okay, and how long ago was that? I don't think I'm prepared to say how long ago. It was a few years. I, mean, it, 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 I think I started in 1980, is the truth. Yeah, I mean, I, the year after I was born, and you don't look that much older than me. What have been the biggest changes in the media since uh, since you started and now? Well, I mean, I, you know, obviously, um, it seems like such a cliche now, but the digital technology, um, obviously, when I started, there wasn't even a Channel 4 or a TVAM. I mean, really, just um, ITV, BBC One, BBC Two, um, you know, and advertising was really uh, on television was what was driving the business. I think you know that kind of audiovisual stuff, and now, God, with the advent of social media and so many opportunities, navigating your way through that is almost mind blowing. And uh, I mean, you've obviously. Um, had an incredibly rich and varied career. What made you want to join DCM? Well, the DCM thing, I suppose, relatively easy in that I'd spent uh, my uh, my working career um, in advertising and in the movie business. And when I so-called sort of semi-retired from um, Aegis, when the Dentsu acquisition happened, and I was looking for to still be involved in the media business, do some non-exec work, uh, hello, DCM, combination of advertising and movie business was just perfect. And the two principal shareholders, um, Odeon and Cineworld, were very old close friends of mine. And that's not how it happened. Seems uh, like an old brainer. And can you just give us a brief overview of what your role as chairman of DCM entails? Well, I, es essentially, it's making sure that um, you know we have the right leadership in place, strategy, um, acting as a link between the company and the shareholders, um, 
you know, moving the business on in the right way, finding the right positioning, just helping to guide the business, I guess, is is probably my my key role. And cinema revenue was up 27% last year. It was a hugely successful year for the cinema advertising industry, and I think this year has started um, equally as strongly. What do you attribute that success down to? Well, I, I wish I knew all of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think, I think there's, a, there's a whole uh, series of, of things which have contributed to cinema success. In what proportion they all are, um, who knows? But I think, you know, Karen, since she's come in, has an absolutely fabulous job. Uh, the digital distribution uh, of cinema ads has taken away a couple of the issues that we used to have, which was uh, a bit of inflexibility and also the cost of prints and, and so on. So we don't have that anymore. So it can be bought pretty much like TV. But I think at the end of the day, you know, when I've been around and spoken to advertisers and to media companies, they also one thing, in, and that is in this this kind of digital, highly fragmented world, that what everybody's looking for is cut through, you know, undivided attention. And actually, that's what cinema gives in, in spades. It's a bit of a sort of back to the future uh, positioning. But I think that's what it is. You know, you go to the cinema and it, it, it's the last refuge um, from the digital world. Uh, you turn your phone on, it acts like a beacon. Everybody starts looking. Mm -hmm. Somebody starts twitching. So, and I think, you know, even one shouldn't use small sample sizes like your own family. But, you know, it, for my kids who are teenagers, they go to the cinema and they, it's the one place they shut the phone down. It's great. And I mean, we, we I talked briefly about your time at Warner Brothers. So you do have a background in cinema as well. Um, I have so many questions about this. Uh, so you worked on the release of some incredibly uh, important films of the last 15, 20 years. I mean, I mentioned some of them. Yeah, and what was it like seeing The Matrix for the first time when that, when that was brought to you and you were like, we get to release this film? Well, The Matrix was a re really interesting movie f in many ways in that um, it, it was the first movie that I think the, 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 the sort of internet was given credit for really driving. So I think that Warner Brothers had made this movie. I think they didn't know quite what they had. Um, very groundbreaking, very unusual film, actually. And, and I'm not sure, this, this is the sort of anecdotal stuff behind it, that, that in the US, a cut was shown to a lot of colleges. And right at the end of the screening, everybody was online saying, wow, you've got to see this, it's groundbreaking. No one's ever seen anything before. So, you know, a groundswell of what my dear would call world of mouth really went up through the internet and that propelled it on. So when it was released in, there was big expectation to see it in, in the UK. It had already released in America. There was great buzz online. And it was the first time that, that, that a film really came to Britain with that buzz already behind it. Um, and... I remember the early part of the marketing campaign just said on the side of buses, I think, what's a matrix? I think June 11th, I think that's the date that sticks in my mind. That's all it said. So to know about this film and to know what on earth this was on movie, you had to be tuned in. And, it, and it was online. I remember it very clearly because it came out 
in March in the US, and my dad and my sister right. saw it in the US in New York. In I think it was March it came out. Yeah, and I had to wait two and a half yeah. months because they just raved about this film, and like it was genuinely like nothing they'd ever seen before. And and then when it came out here, there was so much kind of buzz about it, wasn't there? I mean, yeah, I mean, I think you know it tapped the the first one really to me tapped into this great human emotion, which is, to me, is the same sort of story as Harry Potter. It's the same story as a lot of the superhero ones, which is normal person with incredible powers. Actually, that didn't turn out to be the story in the end with the final two matrices. But I, I do think that's the one, that the, the first one. At the heart of it, here's a normal sort of everyday guy, a bit geeky, but he turns out to have the most incredible powers. And that, obviously, is a storyline quite popular from, yeah, yeah. you know, Harry Potter through to the superhero. And you mentioned Harry Potter. You yep. were there for the release of the f yep. uh, first, first three, actually, first yeah. three films. Yep. That must have been an incredible time for the studio. Yeah, it was. You know, it, obviously the book became more and more and more and more of a phenomenon. And the buzz built and built and built and built. The, uh, the first movie... Um, you know, I think everybody came to the premiere. It was unbelievable. Um, you know, the, the expectation all ahead of the uh, of the studio. It, you know, it, it was amazing. It had that kind of buzz. Incidentally, my second child, my daughter Mia, was born the very next day. So my wife came to the premiere, uh, very, very heavily pregnant, <laughs> and had a baby the very next day. So for all sorts of reasons, you Harry Potter call, sticks in my mind. You weren't tempted to call her Hermione. No. no. Definitely not. Definitely and not. you must... I mean, what other films really stick in your mind that you released when you were at, uh, at Warner Brothers? Well, I, I think um, there are two... You know, the movies which are just good and you do well and the movies that you do that do unexpectedly well. And I think when you're in the film business, they're those that, you know, stick in the mind a bit more. I remember um, more at the art house and... Uh, a film by Christopher Guest, a guy that did Spinal Tap, um, called Best in Show, which if you haven't seen it, is absolutely hilarious. If you're a uh, dog fan as well. Well, uh, you know, you'd think, you know, given the subject matter about dog shows, that it wouldn't be brilliant. But it was brilliant, and we marketed it brilliantly, and it did, like, amazingly well. And then other movies, I remember the Scooby-Doo franchise which was sort of all right in the US. And we were pretty convinced it was going to do brilliantly here. And again, we, we've, we found the right way of marketing. And that was a ginormous success. So the things that gave me a lot of pleasure tended to be more professional things where I did okay maybe in the US, wasn't expected to do well here, but did you know, amazingly well. It, I mean, if you were up there in 1999, that must have meant that you, did you release South Park bigger, longer? I did, I did, and uh, met Matt and Trey, very interesting people. I do think that the first um, 40 minutes of that, 45 minutes, are the funniest 45 minutes in movie history. I genuinely one of the funniest films so. overall, I think. But yeah, I think the yeah, first yeah. 45 minutes particularly. It, it, it was very tense because. I knew that film was, was going to do well. I just knew it. It was going to do well. And um, the president of the studio was having a lot of ha hassle with uh, the producer, legendary producer Scott Rudin. And he is a legendary producer yeah. as well. A whole and he, kind of myth around Scott Rudin. Yeah, yeah. And he, um, 
he didn't believe we were doing a good job in the UK. He hadn't really seen anything, and my boss then couldn't kind of get him off his case. So he said to me, you, you know, you're going to have to call Scott Rudin and, um, you know, basically pacify him, say whatever you need to do. So you he's, had to call Scott Yeah, Rudin. yeah, he's a nightmare. Um, try and calm him down. Anyway, he called me, and uh, I said to him that I thought the movie was, was going to do brilliantly. And he asked a few questions. And I said to him, look, you know, the thing that really irritates me is somebody ringing my boss saying that, you know, it's, we're not doing a good job and it's not going to do well. When we're absolutely going to do brilliantly and we're doing an amazing job, the team. That's what I get irritated by. Anyway, he, he was terribly nice. He then asked me what I thought the movie would do on its first day. So I told him what he would do and he said, fine, call me when you've got the result. When will you have the result? I told him. He said, right, I shall be in New York on this number at this time. Call me. So I called him with the number, which was remarkably what I told him. <laughs> he then asked me what it would do the next day. I told him again. He gave me another number in a different part of America to call him. I called him again. He said, great, it's all going fantastic. What do you think it'll do tomorrow? And this went on for a week. And eventually he said to me, Nigel, thanks. Thanks, the team. Brilliant job. Don't call me again. Thanks. <laughs> it was amazing. He's quite a character. But um, he, but you look at his um, IMDb page, and he has oh. been involved in some incredible films of the last 15, 20 years. Yeah. Um, and did you work on the last Stanley Kubrick film, Eyes Wide Shut, as well? I did. Funny enough, because um, you have to be careful what you say about Kubrick, but, but you know, obviously, legend, attention to detail, amazing tough guy to work with I mean really tough you know real tough taskmaster really un into the, the dotting of the I's and crossing of the T's he died the day before I started at Warner Brothers oh wow so he died on the Sunday and I started on the Monday and I think some people thought boy this boy's lucky he's gonna do okay because yeah. <laughs> everybody was really nervous about dealing with him because he was such a taskmaster you, you can, see you can tell that from his yeah, films. You can so, I mean, they're so meticulous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there were all sorts of stories, you know, about how he'd gone into a blockbuster. I think it was in Seven Sisters Road and wanted to find uh, why the standee wasn't up from the manager. This was for, the, I think, the video release of Full Metal Jacket. And the guy said to him, Blue Minute, you're keen. Who do you think you are, Stanley <laughs> Kubrick? He said, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> who I am. And I mean, so I was just looking at the Warner slate around when you were coming, out, when you worked there. And some of my favourite films, things like The Iron Giant, is that one of yours? Yeah, amazing. One um, of the greatest animations I think of the last thirty years. Yeah, yeah, and um, directed by Brad Bird, yeah. who did uh, was one of the directors on Toy Story, and The Incredibles. Uh, Incredibles, amazing guy, lovely, charming, friendly, gorgeous. It was obviously done on um, based on a Ted Hughes story. So Frida uh, Hughes, my brother, came to the premiere. Um, the dad, Ted Hughes, had written this story for them, I think, when their mum, Sylvia Plath, committed suicide. So it was, it was an amazing kind of thing to be involved in. And we did a big premiere for NSPCC. And um, Andrew and Fergie came with the kids. It was, yeah, no, it was great. And then the film was just brilliant. A be beautiful, beautiful film. Beautiful, yeah. 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 And... Um, also, Three Kings, was that one of them? Yeah, 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 yeah. Obviously, George Clooney. I can't remember that was the first time I'd worked with George Clooney or not. And he is, as everybody says, one of the nicest people you could ever meet. Um, 
the David O. Russell film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his first real... Th- I mean, I liked Flirting with Disaster and his previous yeah. films, Banking the Monkey. But then that was the one where I first I, I watched and I was like, wow, this guy is ma- an incredible talent. Yeah, yeah. Th- th- there were rumours that he and George didn't get on well. So um, George came... Who else was in there? Was Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg. Ice he, Cube. Uh, and no, Ice Cube came as well, I think. Yeah, yeah. So they, they, they were good, but... David or Russell was nowhere to be seen, so we couldn't ask if the stories about him and Clooney on set were true. But uh, again, amazing uh, movie, really, really interesting. And the, the final one I've, I'm going to ask about, because it's one of my favourite films of the last 20 years, is Before Sunset. Was that one? Oh of the right, you yeah, 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 yeah. Again, uh, Richard Linklater movie. Um, it was a whole series of them in the end with Judy Delpy yeah, yeah. and and Ethan Hawke. That whole series is fantastic. Just beautifully done. Incredible films. He, he, he's, a, he's a great director. Yeah, yeah. So what are your most memorable stories from your time at Warner's? Uh, what that I can tell? Yeah. I <laughs> Obviously, um, meeting Oliver Stone, that was one of the highlights. I got on particularly well with Oliver. I remember... Um, what film was that for? Uh, Any Given Sunday. Um, I think I kind of did a couple with Oliver in the end. Anyway, any given Sunday he did, he came. Al Pacino came as well. And uh, we were in the Dorchester. And Al Pacino um, uh, had his press conference first. And Oliver didn't want to be in there when the press conference was happening. So he said to me, can you go down and then come back and tell me what, what happened so I'm brief when I do my press conference. And... For some reason, I can't remember why now, we, 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 we packed the audience out with kind of professional uh, journalists and reviewers, but also some student ones. And one of them, I remember, asked a question of Al and was totally, like, starstruck and said, um, uh, oh, Al, can I, can I call you Al? Is that, is that okay? He said, when you're walking down the street and you just happen to glance in a shop window and you see a shot of yourself, do you think, Hey, I'm Al Pacino, and Al Pacino just laughed and smiled and said, uh, "He said no. When I do that, I think I'm a seagull." And then he said, "That's Chekhov, by the way, just for the <laughs> people that didn't, didn't understand." So that it was amusing. I then went and told um, Oliver after he, he said, "How did the press conference go?" I said, "Well, um, yeah, Al, Al Pacino ended it by saying that you're a bit of a sort of crazy genius." Because this film was shot on a relatively tight budget, you were shooting often two, even three scenes at the same time, which he'd never seen before. You were running from one setup to another, getting it going. And he said that it was great because you really were like um, uh, a, a conductor in an orchestra and the actors are your instruments. And uh, as you mentioned, Oliver Stone, big beam on his face. I love that Al Pacino. He's got a good way with words. So, you know, stuff like that was always great fun. Um, you must have some amazing film memorabilia as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, when I left Warner Brothers, um, I got a, a, a Nimbus 2000, sits on my wall. Oh, wow. So, yeah, a few bits and pieces like that. So, um, moving forward to um, films that are currently in cinemas or about to be in cinemas, what are you looking forward to in 2016? Uh, well, obviously, I'm a great fan of... Uh, David Brent. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that. On the Road, whatever it's called. Life on the Road. Life yeah, on yeah. the Road, yeah, yeah. I mean, the first trailer is very, very funny. It's out on August the 19th. So um, hopefully we'll be... Do you think he's going to turn up at the premiere as David Brent? 
Yeah, I would have thought so. That would be he is David Bennett half the time, is he? Yeah, or yeah. he seems to be. Yeah, I, I used to work with Ricky Gervais. And oh, right, okay. Yeah, it's funny because everyone has this f- yeah, feeling yeah. that he is just David Brent, but I I didn't find him to be like that at all. Yeah, and I was yeah. expe- always expecting him to say something just like David Brent, and it never yeah, happened. Yeah. And uh, obviously anything to do with Harry Potter because of you know my past, I've obviously been really looking forward to seeing that sort of stuff too. Always been a big fan of Star Wars, all these big events. It's the usual sort of stuff. So um, last year was the fourth highest year for admissions in 44 years, 172 million. I mean, we're looking at a similar number this year. The year started off really strong. We were about um, on par with last year at the moment. And whenever I speak to the exhibitors, um, people at Odeon, Cineworld View, they often talk about 200 million admissions as the target for the UK cinema market. How do we get up towards 200 million? How do we get up towards 180 million first? Well, I mean... you know, they, they're continuing to put a lot of money into the cinemas. Um, you know, it's still, there's a pretty heavy building program. That's growing it. But for me, you know, I think the big hope to really push on is, is you know, digital marketing, CRM. You know, they'll know who came, what they came, what did they buy. And being able to say to somebody, look, you like this. Here are two other, three other films you might like. Here's an offer to get you to come. And I think we're just at the, we've only touched the tip of the iceberg in terms of what's possible for the, that side of the industry's marketing. You know, because I think everybody would like to see more movies. Often they never quite get around to seeing them when they're out. I think most people would like to see bloody movies first run in, in the cinema. Um, often it's just opportunity or you know, so a little thing that might just drive you bit more would be great and you do you still think cinema is going to be the best place to see a film oh yeah go 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 i mean i you know i was just speaking at a conference not that long ago and, and they said oh you know big screens are going to kill cinema oh, god you know the prospect of my 18 year old son and his friends watching a two-hour movie at home if you forget it they're on the tablet the phone they'll certainly play a fifa and stuff like that but but it's it's it, you know, people have been saying stuff about well, will people continue to go to see? It's just a, you know, it's just a good night out. It's proved unbelievably resilient. You can't be- beat the communal aspect of watching mm. a, a comedy, especially a comedy. I watched yeah. Bad Neighbours two the, last yeah. week, and had I watched that at home by myself on the sofa, it would have been different. It would have been a, a completely different experience. Yeah. And I watched it with two hundred people, and we had a, an amazing time. Yeah, and also, you, you know, I, I think what what. Everybody says, oh, last year was such a fantastic year. You ended with two very high-profile movies with Bond and Star Wars. But I guess what I'm aware of slightly more than than most, having been in the industry, is when you've got a juggernaut like that, everybody else with their movies clears off. So they leave it almost exclusively to you. So so you get a lot of criticisms if if you don't want to see Bond or you don't want to see Star Wars. There is nothing else. And often... You know, audience keys in bulk can be almost as big if you've got three or four movies all doing quite well rather than just one dominating thing. So there are some mechanics that underlie, underlie the business, which, which are also good. And over the next couple of years, what are your hopes for DCM? Well, I, you know, I can only see, fingers crossed, you know, cinema cell getting stronger and stronger. You know... Um, we're not quite sure as this millennial generation gets older and older how that'll you know change and adapt their television viewing, 
but they're very fragmented across devices and stuff like that. I still think, you know, television for many are going to be a really great place to build brands, but you know, in combination with with cinema providing that, you know, really heavy hitting, undivided attention, really going to help. So, and I, and I think as we go on, that that argument is only going to get stronger. You know, not weaker. So I, I'm hoping that it'll continue to go from strength to strength. Well, I think that's just about all we've got time for. Uh, thank you for joining me, no Nigel. Uh, thank you for listening. As I said, don't forget to click subscribe on iTunes, and I'll be back next month when we're, I think we're going to have a Cine Europe special, which Cine Europe's a, um, a conference that takes place in Barcelona where all the st- studios come and present their latest films and their newest films, and um, I'll be talking about that. And I'll have a great guest as well, probably not as great as Nigel, <laughs> but, um, but you know, not every month can be one of these ones. Thanks for listening.